I've shown you it every time I've been up here. If you want to know what they are, go on the webpage. You will find it, LifeGate's webpage. But I do have to ask you, who can remember what we looked at last time I spoke? That was five weeks ago. Jesus, someone said, as a man. That's exactly right. We looked at Jesus, so which is God's son, okay? And I called the sermon, Jesus, God's ideal man, man's ideal God. Can you remember it? Yeah? yeah? Okay, good. Now I'll test you on it. No, no, we will, we will just look at the... It's, it's not the opposite. That would be heresy saying that. Um, it's who makes or what makes up Jesus. So we looked at him as a person last time. Jesus as his person. Or Jesus in his being. This Today, we're going to look at Jesus and his works or his doing. Okay, Because his being and doing can very much be looked at and not separated because you can't take one away from the other, just like you can't take our being and our doing away from who we are. But it's such a large, broad spectrum. I tried to do it over two sermons, okay? So we looked at his being last time. We're looking at his doing this time. So it's all about his works. In other words, what has he accomplished for us? What has he accomplished for us? Now, I'm going to do this by using some key words. And these key words come out of the Bible. I'll show you that. But they're also rather large words. Words that you probably don't use in common day language um, today. Some might, but um, not many do. Now, I'm always fearful in doing this because some people just switch off. They go, oh, what's his big word? I don't, I don't use it. I don't get it. Well, I'm going to try and explain that to you. But even though they're words um, that aren't used very often, it doesn't make them irrelevant. And I want to say that to you. And, and I, I want to say that in a way that there are words that exist in our English language that even though you might not know what they are, they're very important to you. And as if I was to go around this room, we would find different fields that people work in or their employment. Um, like, let, let, for instance, you, you talk to a doctor and they will use words or in the medical field, I have no clue what they're talking about. I, I'm lost using those words. In fact... Um, in my training the other day um, at Bunnings, I had to do a, uh, some training in the paternoster. I went, okay. Does anyone know what a paternoster is? No one. Well, we're all the same. I had no clue. I thought, this will be interesting. What's a paternoster? Well, you'll have to look that up and find that out for yourself. Um, it's just a machine that... They put carpet and vinyl on and it goes up and around so it takes the pattern and you can cut it up to the precise size. I had no clue what it was. But look, just as a way, by way of an illustration, if I was to ask you a couple of these words, who can tell me what they are? Now, I know there's experts here that will be able to tell me straight away. Okay? Just like if I was to ask Nathan these words that I'm going to be preaching on, he'd probably know them straight away. Okay? Because they're used in our field of work. But if I was to say, okay, what's a camshaft? Who knows what a camshaft is? Put your hand up. Okay, yes. Of course, we can turn to Ross. He'd know. I mean, Ross eats them for breakfast. You know? And, and, and um, 
Some people are just... I'll tell you what a camshaft shaft is. It's a rod in an engine that works to change circular motion into motion that goes up and down or from side to side. There you go. Look that one up when you get home. Okay, here's a little bit easier for you. Do you know what an axle is? What's an axle do? Holds the wheels on. Okay, that's good enough. Yeah, an axle. Okay, what's a bearing then? A bearing. Okay, so a little bit more, a little round balls, yes. It's, a, it's either a support, a guide, or a locating piece for a rotating mechanical part. Okay, what's a catalytic converter? See, some people know. It's to do with your exhaust system, that's right. It's a device which is fitted to the car's exhaust to reduce the pollution that comes from it. Here's another one. Manifold. You know what a manifold is? <laughs> yes, you see? Now, this is my very point. Um, let me just tell you, a manifold's a, change, a chamber or pipe with a number of inlets and outlets, and it's used to, to collect and distribute the fluid, which is, in a car is the exhaust. Okay? Now, I've mentioned all these words because without them, it makes your travel impossible. If I was to remove all these things from your car, you would not be getting out of the car park, okay? Now, you don't know what these words are. You have no clue what they do for you, but I tell you what, you depend on them. And that's what we're going to do with these big words that I'm going to use today. When I explain Jesus' is doing, when I explain Jesus' is doing, these words that we're going to look at today define who we are and what we have received from God himself. Okay, so don't just write them off. Have a little think about them. Now, here's the other thing I want to do with you. Nathan said this before. It's, I'm, I, I have this problem being, giving, being given this um, opportunity to take, take us through our beliefs is I'm just feeding you with information. Now, I don't want to do that because information for information's sake just sits up here. Information must become um, transformation. We're going to do something with what we're told. So I'm going to tell you things today, and here it is. At the end of the sermon, I want you to tell me what you can do with this information I'm going to give you this morning. Okay, now it's 9.54. Hopefully I can get through this. People have put me up here a bit late, but I'll see what I can do. It was all this thanking people. What is that? Okay, here, let's start. Saviour. Saviour. Now, that's an easy one, isn't it? Saviour. Jesus is called our saviour. Paul tells it this way, and he's talking here in the context of our holy calling. Our holy calling has been manifested through the appearing of our saviour, Jesus Christ, who abolished death, brought life, and immortality to light through the gospel. We have to start, I think, um, and we have to ask, in the light of Jesus being our saviour, what did he save us from? If he is our called our saviour, what did he save us from? Well, I would like to say that that's sin. Okay, now there's lots of things he does save us from. Probably, in my case, he saves me from myself. But sin, and I've always said this, is the middle letter of sin is I... And sin is all about me putting me in charge. I am the one that controls my life. I am the boss. 
I am the king of my life. You see, God is now pushed to the side because I am in control. And that's what sin does. It takes God out of the picture. And very clearly, the Bible tells us that God hates sin. Because sin spoils the world, this beautiful world that he put us in. This perfect world he puts us in. It separates us from him. There's like this big black cloud or huge gap, chasm, chasm between us and God. It kills life in itself. We've only got to see the way the world is going at the moment and the, and the destruction that sin brings about it. And it slays relationships. It breaks down communication between people. God hates it so much that we're told he has great wrath against it. And here, John tells us, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. God hates sin, and God hates it when people are involved in sin. Now, I don't like my children to do the wrong thing. And when they finally do the wrong thing, I've got to deal with it because I want them to grow up mature, healthy individuals. So when they do break the law, that doesn't mean I move away from them, but I certainly want to be there in that process of saying, look, I love you, I will walk with you in it, but I can't agree with what you've done. And that's what God's wrath is. God's wrath is against sin. Okay? God's wrath is against sin. And so we all need a saviour because we all carry that seed of sin that the Bible talks about that has been passed down to us. And our salvation from sin comes through our saviour, Jesus Christ. In fact, he tells us, for the wages of sin is death. You know what a wage is? A wage is a payment for something you do. The wages of sin, the payment for sinning is death. But The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there is an answer to sin, and it's actually given to you in a gift. And that's the gift of our Saviour Jesus. He can save us, and he offers it to us as a gift. So here's the question. How is it accomplished? Well, here's one of those words, the second of the ones I want to look at. Atonement. Now, atonement is actually a Hebrew word, and it comes the word kafir. And you might have heard, we, we kind of use the word kippur, yon kippur. Has anyone heard of yon kippur? Yeah, where's it come from? Fun? <laughs> um, it's a Hebrew word. Yeah, kippur is a Chinese festival. Um, Chinese. Thanks. <laughs> Say it again. In the two, that's right. And what it celebrates is the atonement. Kippur, Yom Kippur means the atonement. Now, what's the atonement? Well, I'm going to try and explain that to you. But the Jews celebrate this. In fact, this year it was between the going down of the sun on the 18th and the, and the 24th, well, it's actually 25 hours later on the 19th of September this year. They celebrate Yom Kippur. It's their, it's their major, their number one. It's like, I suppose, Christmas to the Christians. It's their number one day of the Jewish calendar and the festivals they run. Now, it's interesting that the word for mercy seat... Now, let me just show you something here. Um, 
This is the temple or the tent of meeting that was there. And the priest would come in and he would, amongst all this furniture, burn his sacrifices to take away the sin. But there's a curtain here and behind here is the Ark of the Covenant. That's it there. All made of gold, acacia wood. And inside the Ark was a couple of things. These are just uh, the cherubim that overhang it. Now, this lid is called the mercy seat. And it's interesting that inside the whole um, temple or tent of meeting, there's no seats. Because no one sits down in there except for the place up here. And the word in, for the Jewish word used for the mercy seat is the word from atonement. It's the place that people are made at one with God. Atone. Made one with God. And that's the place that God can sit down. Now, God doesn't literally come and sit down. But that's the place that he can sit because our sin is taken care of. Now, let me explain a little few words here. Let's go to Hebrews. For this reason, he, that being Jesus, had to be made like them. So Jesus becomes a man. We looked at that last time. He's... Um, his, his being. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Interesting that we call it the mercy seat in English, but the word comes from the word atonement. In service for God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. See, that's what he does for us. It's a technical term for Christ's work. And I kind of see it as an umbrella term by which all that Jesus achieves is explained under this one word. So atonement and all the other words we're going to look at this morning all hang off it because it actually expresses the work that Jesus has done for us. He is our saviour, but he has atoned us. It refers to the means by which God and man are made at one. It's motivated by love. It has you in his sight when he atones. And it's purely led by Jesus' death. So you can say it this way. Jesus' atonement for you fully satisfied the just and holy demands of God. Jesus has made us at one with God. Okay, fully satisfies the just and holy demands of God. Remember God's wrath? He atones for that. Jesus' death takes away God's wrath on us. I'll show you a little bit more how that is applied. John tells us, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's beautiful. So let's go to the next one, redemption. Now, redemption and atonement is what is uh, accomplished for us so that all the other works of Jesus can be applied. Okay, and here is how you read it. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. Who's that? 
Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. You know what a mediator is? Two people go in to resolve a problem. Someone will sit between them and they will mediate between the two parties. There is one God and one mediator. That one mediator is Jesus. Uh, Between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom, a ransom for all people. Now, ransom, which comes from the same word as redeem. It comes from the same Greek word. And a ransom means a redemption price. So you all know that, and there's many movies, and it happens still today, I will send you, I will kidnap your child and I will send a ransom note. You pay the ransom, you get the child back. Well, in this, you hope. Yes. I know you can't. I'm just saying. That's right. So true, Tony. You've seen the movies. Um, so ransom means a redemption price. And, and let me just give you a great illustration here. This is in Leviticus. Moses wrote, if a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich. So that's not the Jewish person. Okay? A stranger or a so- sojourner amongst you becomes rich. And your brother, who is a Jew, beside him so lives beside him in his little block of land, becomes poor, and because of his poverty, he can't feed his family. So he sells himself to the stranger or the sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan. Next. Then, after he is sold, he may be redeemed. He may be bought back. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. And I think it's a lovely thing because God made sure that Moses put this into the law. You know, my people are going to struggle sometimes. They're going to get themselves into a bit of hot water. They're going to have to sell what they have. They're going to have to sell themselves as a servant to the stranger or the sojourner who's, you know, his crops have grown when the poor Jewish man next door in the the field next door has lost it. So when he does sell himself... A brother or an uncle or a cousin, a family relative can come across to that stranger and say, I want to redeem my relative back. Um, That person who redeems him becomes known as the kinsman redeemer. Now, there's a great story about the kinsman redeemer in the Bible. What would it be? Ruth. If you want to read a wonderful story about a kinsman redeemer, it's all about Ruth and Boaz. Four little chapters. Just pull it out and read it. That's the kinsman redeemer. And Jesus became our kinsman redeemer. He came down and redeemed us. He pays the ransom price so that we can come back into God's presence. So here's the question. How did he redeem us from our sin? Well, Peter tells us, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that's handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We needed Jesus, the perfect man, to redeem us. He used his blood on the cross when he died to pay the price to get us back into God's presence. By Jesus paying the price for our sin through his blood, He frees us from the slavery of sin. The chains of our old life 
the oppression of the law and finally from the captivity within our bodies when he returns. It's a wonderful thing. We have become God's again. Paid for, forgiven, purified, kept, empowered. We need not fear anything and on top of all that, we get to live forever. That's what redemption has done for you. That's what Jesus' blood and his redeeming power has done for us. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Because none of us deserve it. We all sin, but the riches of God's grace by sending his son to die on the cross for us to be the ransom price pays for our redemption. We can be brought back. Now, once this happens, we're then treated by God and we're treated as justified. Another big word, justification. Now, the thing about this word is it's a judicial term. You will still hear this today if you are involved in the courts. It's a legal status. We are, and this is what it basically means, declared not guilty. That should get a big cheer more than Nathan just going, yeah. (laughs) We are declared not guilty. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you've been held guilty in a court, but to be told those words by the judge, you are not guilty, I guarantee you would be screaming. That's what you have received. You are no longer guilty. It is how the believer stands before God. Now, I showed you that verse before about God's wrath. The book of Hebrews, the writer tells us it's a fearful thing to come under God's wrath. A very fearful thing. You should be worried about coming under God's wrath, he says. But here, we no longer have to stand under God's wrath or be judged by God's wrath. Our legal liability for our sin and God's wrath, which requires death, we read this before, is cancelled. What a wonderful thing to have written across my life, across the sin in my life, cancelled in full. Thank you very much, God. It is gracious act of God in declaring righteous the sinner who believes in Jesus. And here it is. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We are saved from him, from God's wrath. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the mighty God. You and I have been saved from it. We have been justified. As you can see, being justified is out of our control. You and I cannot stand justified before God on the things that we have done. It comes only from God. It is God who justifies. So you and I are stuffed if Jesus did not step in for us. Yet, it is more than just being pardoned. We are treated as no longer being liable to the penalty of sin. And then on the other hand, we are entitled to all the privileges that are being, of being innocent right now. Wow. Wow. I'm not just treated as no longer being liable to the penalty, but I'm entitled to all the privileges that comes with being an innocent person. 
It's not just what I lose, death, but I gain being a son of God and being a child and all these things that we've been singing about. But note that, that, that this is not a process. Instantly, a person make God, makes God his boss. They are justified. And that's what happens in the court of law. When the judge finally says, you are justified, you are declared not guilty, that's it. So each one of us stand justified before God, not because you've done anything, not because I have to work harder. You are justified in his sight. This really shows us the full depth of God's love. Once declared righteous through Christ, the sin question is completely settled. And it's unchanging because it's given by God and it's not a work that you and I can achieve. Praise God for that. Our guilt has been removed by Jesus and God forgets. Now, I don't know if God forgets. I think God chooses not to remember. I think forgetfulness is actually part of sin. So I, I think God chooses not to remember. And God chooses not to remember that you ever sinned. Wow. He's the almighty God that chooses that. He, Paul tells us, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men and women. One act of righteousness. Fifth one, reconciliation. Now, this speaks to us about God taking the initiative in restoring us back to himself, which was damaged by our sin. And our relationship with him is back on track again. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, what this is telling us here is that it's a wonderful fact that the full relationship with the living God has been restored. And we can walk, talk and live with him both now and forever. You see, we have been justified. It's been crossed out, our sin. We are treated or declared innocent, but we've been reconciled. So I'm on this side, God's on this side. And yes, God said, I forgive you. But it's not just that. Reconciliation means coming back together. I've been brought back into the presence of God. He doesn't forgive me and says, well, you go away, you know, live your life, do what you want. He says, come back to me. Even though you've done all that you have, come back to me because I remember it, I choose to remember it no more. Colossians tells us, and you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled, that's Jesus, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You are holy and blameless. You see, God is holy. God is perfect. You cannot come into God's presence unholy. And why can we go into the presence of God? Why can we talk to him and pray to him? It's because you are holy now. 
His righteousness has made you holy. So you have the right to enter into the presence of God and speak with him. It's a status thing, really. And it's a wonderful thing. Last point here, adoption. This is where the atoned, redeemed and justified person is given the privilege of entering into God's family. You see, adoption makes you a member of God's family. It involves a change of both status and condition. The status is we are adopted by God to be his child. And that's why we can sing that we are his children. It's a wonderful thing. We are adopted by God and that's a fact. Don't ever think, oh, am I outside or inside God's family at the moment? The fact is, he adopts you, he will not let you go. That's his promise. Why won't he let you go? Because Jesus has paid for your sin. You are saved. Christ's blood is all over you and that's why you are holy. That's why you can come into his presence. John tells us, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You have a right. It's a wonderful thing to, be full, to fully comprehend the depth of knowing that you are God's, uh, you are God's child because God wants us to worship him. He doesn't need us. Think about that. Nor need anything or anybody. God in himself exists in and of himself and does not need us. But he wants us. That's beautiful. So the condition for us is this. We no longer look upon God with fear or as an impersonal force. We are his children. You're his son and his daughter. Don't be fearful of him. Run into his arms. Call him Abba and say, I'm all yours. I'm here for you. What would you like, God? What do you want from me, Daddy? If you can use that word. We can look affectionately upon God and trust him as a perfect father who loves us more than we could ever know. Because of all that Jesus has done for us through his life, death and resurrection, we have unlimited resources provided by the father. Paul could say, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. His sufferings. Yes, many Christians come to me and go, why am I going through this? Well, actually, I I, I challenge them by saying, you probably will learn more through your sufferings than through the glory. You'll actually learn what God has gone through, what Jesus did go through, and you will be made stronger through it. I know I've learned most things in my life through the pain that I've experienced than the good times. The good times become much greater when you realise what you've learnt out of the hard times. We are God's children by faith in Christ. We become his adopters, brothers and sisters, adopted sons and daughters of God. And as fully adopted and accepted children, we share the same inheritance as Jesus. So, there's a lot of information. And I've been given the wind-up. Thank you. But I, I, I put a question to you to start with. What can you do with this information? Got any thoughts? Share it with others. Good. Anyone else? 
Be grateful for what we're given. Thankfulness. Yep. Come on, you're thinking. I hope you've been thinking. That's good. Reflect on it and take action. How can this actually affect me? That's right. I'm redeemed. What does that really mean? Nate? That's right. You know, you've all had those words said to you in the past, you're useless, you'll never amount to anything. You know, those words that can really weigh us down. You've got to stop listening to those words and you've got to listen to these words that Jesus has said to you. He went to cross for you. Allow those words to rise up within you. That helps you to talk to your neighbour, to talk to your friend that you sit next to at work. Because you know who you are. Not because of your works, because of Christ's. Anything else? Yes, that's exactly right. Try and view others as Christ views you. Because he views them the same. Anything else? Yeah, David? Yeah, the complete humanity, that's right, that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, you know, before I pray, I just want to say, Paul actually, in the first verse of his letter to the Ephesians, he says, I write this to the saints who gather in Ephesus. Now, if you know anything about Ephesus, they're not too saintly. (laughs) Have a read about what the Ephesians were like back then. But Paul writes his letter to the saints that gather in Ephesus. So I could actually, if I was writing a letter to you today, to the saints that gather in LifeGate. Do you think you're a saint? I hope that's a yes. Because everything that we've looked at today is about Jesus making you a saint. And that's the way God sees you. You are a saint, which means pure and holy in Christ. Let's pray. Great God, we thank you for this time this morning. And we pray that this information might not just be bursting out of our heads, but it actually would filter down into our hearts and it would actually come out through our hands. And Father God, we want you to speak to us, to show us what this can mean for our future. Well, what does it mean for our next step in this day? And how do we live this out? We want you to be in control. Lead us, we pray in your name. Amen. I've got the band up. They're going to start singing. But if you don't know Jesus, and this has all just gone, wow, what is this? I'm going to let you have a think about this. I've got to head off to Liverpool now. And Nathan's going to lead you through a prayer afterwards, okay? And he'd like just to say a few more words. If you don't know Jesus, I don't know everyone here this morning, but uh, we'll give you that opportunity to find out about this ideal man and man's ideal God. Thank you. What an amazing gift that Jesus gave us when he took up our sins on the cross. Will you stand and join with me? I'm going to sing Grace to Grace one more time uh, from the bridge. And I want to encourage you to join me to let's speak this through the first